so nice about uh, the with us. We almost tend to go back because we saw some vehicles of church members here going the opposite direction. We thought church is closed. Those are excuses that people give when they come later. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes and chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 for this morning we are going to look at the first eight verses I've entitled the sermon as when all hope is gone when all hope is gone Let's then read those first eight verses of chapter four. I looked and saw the the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the, the oppressor. And they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the winds. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone, had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and preaching of his holy word. In life, we are all faced with situations when our hope is tempered with. When our hope is shaken, 
when we begin to wonder how tomorrow looks like if today is like this we begin to hear many voices such voices like give up voices like oh no this is an end oh sorry forget about it there is no future after all the teacher makes some unusual comparisons in the text that we have read. He gives us examples of the oppressed and the oppressor, the dead and the living, those who have and those who do not have. And the list can go on and on. You can say the taller ones and the shorter ones, the younger and the older. And you begin to say, it's all meaningless. For example, when you were younger, you'd say, when I grow up, I'll get this, I'll do that, I'll live a happier life. And then when you grow up, you look back and say, I wish I was younger. I wasted my time. And he says, it is all life wasted after all. I don't know if some of you have met some people who say, when you, when you tell them something, their response is going to be, you are better off, we are worse than that. For example, women sometimes speak, we, we don't have salt at home. Then the other person is going to say, salt. If I'm cooking takuli. Or if you say, when I, I feel like I have malaria, oh, you, you are better off. But me, it's worse than malaria and diarrhea. And it's like they have a bigger share of problems than other people. I don't know if you have met people like that. Or maybe you are one of the people who, who is like that. Yours is always a bigger problem that drains away your hope that makes you feel like, oh no, my friend is in a better situation than I am. But let me just slowly but sure describe to you this thing known as hope. And then we are going to look at the fact of how does it feel when you do not have hope. Hope describes a number of things, but mainly, number one, it is a happy anticipation of good things. It is a happy anticipation of good things. The main text is obviously Romans chapter 8 and verse 24 to 25, which we are going to come to later on. But the happy expect anticipation of something good is what hope is. It is that idea of, of a young man looking forward to marriage, for example. They don't look at the hard doors that are there. All they look at is that wedding day. She's going to wear a white dress 
and I'm going to wear a suit and she's going to be brought by the father or whoever and we're going to get married. That's a happy anticipation of something that is good. Obviously for the Christian, it is the glorious appearance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When pain and difficulties removed our way, and all we see is just good. And for those of you that are studying, obviously it is your graduation. And you look to that day with happy anticipation and that you have some hope. But secondly, hope is the ground upon which activity is based. Why are you doing what you are doing? It is because of what I know this is going to achieve for me. Why are you building a house when it is so expensive to build? It is because of the fact that you are going to own a house. You are going to have an achievement in life. That on the basis of that, you do everything that you can. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 gives us that illustration to, to that hope that we have. And, and, and when you do that, you have that basis from which you are rising to have an activity that you are able to do. This, this, this hope in First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 is known as living hope because it influences you, it defines you, it gives you work, it, 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 it is something that drives you if you like. And in life, we all need that driving force known as hope. Usually, when people are sick, they could be in their hospital bed. But they begin to say, when I come out of hospital, I plan to go and do this and that. They have some hope. It is helping them to live. When we live in a troubled world, we need to have hope so that we can see what tomorrow is all about. So that we can have that anticipation of something that is good. But from our text, the teacher is more or less rising and saying, I have not seen any hope at all. Because he begins by telling us that he looked at the oppressed. And you know, the oppressed, in other words, are the people that are trampled upon, the people that you step on their heads for you to go elsewhere. You are trampling on them, stepping on them. What comes to my mind is one, one head teacher that we had in primary school. If you lost a football game at his school, he would tell us that you have disappointed me, my children. All of you who played football come and you'd go in front. 
And he says, you lost at home ground. You disappointed me. All of you, on that day when there's a parade, for example, you played on Saturday and lost the game. Monday, it is the day for parade. And he would call all of you that played football to come in front. And he'd say, I want all of you to sleep on the ground. Now, you have just washed your uniform, and he wants you to sleep on the ground. But because he said, teacher, you go on the ground. And the man would say, I'm going to step on you because you disappointed me. And this man was a giant, and you'd step on you. Everyone is quiet. The next time you have a game, you want to win. But people are being stepped on in life. There are workers that are not given their dues as they deserve. There are governments that are torturing their people. We have heard in some countries you can't move from one town to another. You need a police escort. You need to pay the soldiers to let you from one point to another. The people are being trampled upon. Their freedom is taken away. And this teacher looks at them and says, I looked at the oppressed. They have no comforter. They have no hope. And look at his language. It makes you begin to wonder. And he says, those are worse off. They, they, they are not in a good position. And I want to look at how he, he, he makes the picture look very, very ugly before us because these people have no hope. The first thing he says, it is better for people who are dead than the oppressed. Obviously, we have wondered in many cases, why do people commit suicide? Why should you take your own life? In Exodus 21, we have some reasons as to why offenders should be put to death. But death is a bad thing. No one should look at death and say, oh, it's a nice thing. The Bible tells us death has a sting, according to the Apostle Paul. It, it stings, it bites. But the teacher is telling us it's better to die than to be oppressed, than to be tortured. Thanks be to God, there is no mockery anymore in secondary schools. The time we went in secondary school, there was something known as mockery. It was like, why did I pass? I should have failed grade seven than to go to secondary school. Because 
mockery was bad. And I, I, I don't know where those Kaonde girls that used to torture us are. Where this girl would just come from nowhere and because she's a form two and look at you and say, marry me. Then you're going to say, no, I'm in school. Say, marry me. And they're just mocking you. And when you say, oh, then they're going to shout, hey, this one wants to marry me. He said, for one. It's so bad. It's so humiliating. But the point I'm making is this. How can one wish to be dead and not to be oppressed? It is because they have lost hope. There is no hope anymore. But those who had hope, even when they were being mocked in Form 1, they knew to say, next year I'll be in Form 2. I'll also mock them. Because they had hope. In Romans chapter 6, 8, verse 6, we are given an answer. It is because of where we set our minds. Those who set their minds on the flesh, he says, they are like dead. Because all they are going to see, friends, is pain and difficulty. They are going to see torture. They are going to see oppression. They are going to feel disappointed when you set your minds on the things of the flesh. That's what the teacher has just been telling us in these eight verses. He says... Look at even the people that are working. It is because they are envying another person. There's jealousy. You'll be looking at what you have like it's not enough. That which my friend has is better. And, and, and you know, this issue of comparison, it, it comes even very, very close. There are some Husbands that are envious of their wives. And we know very well that the wardrobe for a lady is bigger than the wardrobe for a man. But then as a man, you look at me, mm, only this. But why not? But because you have set your minds on things of the world, of things of the flesh, You'll always feel like your friend has a better share than what you have. You become envious. Oh, friends, we know how people have killed each other because they feel my friend is in better position. Me, I'm being oppressed. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 gives us the assurance that when we have our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we have set our things, our minds on things above, we are far much better off. Even in our current scenario, may look like we have no hope, but we are greater than those who may feel nice. So, it's better I get oppressed now and be better tomorrow than to die. Whereas the teacher was saying, it's better to die than to be oppressed. But he goes further 
and says, even these two, the oppressor and the oppressed, are not better compared to those who have not yet been born. He says, even those who are dead, <laughs> you begin to wonder what his reasoning is. If you are not yet born, you are not there. How can you be better? But he says, it's better for those who have not yet been born because they have not seen the evil of this world. What, what is he talking about? It's like the words of Job when he says, I curse the day on which I was born. It's better to have no birthday. Like some people don't have birthdays. They were just told you were born in a particular month when, the, when, when your father went hunting and things like that. But when you look at the day that you're not born, not to be born is actually supposed to be a curse. You remember the harsh words that came from the mouth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, towards Judas? Recorded in Mark chapter 14, verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ says it would have been better for such a man not to have been born. We all should have a birthday. But the teacher is saying, it's better not to have been born than to be oppressed. It's painful when you have no hope but dear friends, it means you have no value for life. Like I said earlier on, how does he know the state of the unborn? What advantage do they have if they're not living? It is just because he had no hope. He goes down to talk about himself in, in such a way that is that is painful. But look at the hope of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. Oh, that hope, dear friends, should drive us. When Abraham knows that he's an old man, he's not able to have a child, but because he knows who he believes in, like we sang this morning, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. And because he came, I have this confidence to face tomorrow. I have hope. The hope of Abraham was the one that was driving him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to us against all hope, but with that great hope that he has in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the word of God, he stands and becomes the father of faith. And he does the will of God. And then he says, the hope of Abraham is just a hope for the future. A hope to look at how great this God is all about. But look at the words of the teacher, how he, he, he darkens our minds. He says, 
in verse 2, and I declared that the dead who are already dead are happier than the living who are still alive. But even the both of those, it, it, he has, but better than both is he who has not yet been born, who has not yet seen the evil that is under the sun. It's like the moment you are born, there's just evil everywhere. You have no hope whatsoever. Is that the way we should respond to life? No. Our response should be like that of, of Abraham. I'm going to come to that in a little while. But then he gives us a third example of what happens when we have no hope. He says, he gives it like a story. He says, there was a man in verse 8. All alone, he had neither son nor brother. But this man was working so hard. And as he's working so hard, he began to have wealth. And when he looked at life and he said, why am I toiling? Why am I laboring? Why do I have all these things that have accumulated? When I have no brother, I have no son, maybe I have no wife, I have no dependent. Why? And the teacher looks at him and says, even those who have jobs, it's like they're working for nothing. Later on, he's going to tell us that those who have riches, the other people who come from elsewhere, who come to enjoy the riches. So why should you have riches? Work is supposed to be something that we should rejoice in. Work is a blessing. Work was given to Adam before the fall. Our God is a working God. We already know that. We, his children, should be working. But this man, the teacher tells us to say, it is in vain you work because you have no one to feed. But it is fulfilling for me to work. He says, no. And if you don't envy life, you don't appreciate work, you don't appreciate what you are accumulating, then why are you living? People, that's, that's when they commit suicide. But here is a warning, dear friends. When all hope is gone, it is possible that we can do things that are not right. We will hate jobs. We will not care for others. We will even hate ourselves and have no regard for God. If that is the case, then there is a judgment awaiting us. So my concern really is, what should we do when we do not have hope? When our hope is almost drained away? Let me spend a little time then to talk about what we should do. 
Let's turn to that text I, I, I talked about, Romans chapter 8. When all our hope is gone, what should we do? Romans 8 and verse 24. I love this particular text for obvious reasons because of, of just the future that awaits for us, the joy of being born again. Let's pick it from verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present day. Not only so, but we ourselves who have who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then he tells us what that is. He says, this is hope. We are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what, is already, what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And then he gives us that explanation. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses and goes on and on. What should we do when we discover that our hope is like that of the preacher? It is almost gone. And I don't need to remind you that in the world we are living in, hope is easily drained away. Even as a nation, we were looking forward to the new dawn government. And we thought when the new dawn comes, all our problems will be sorted out. There was even a phrase. So and so will sort it out. And it was this and that, he will sort it out. This and that, we have hope. That, that's why, because we are so anxious, everyone is blowing the whistle. Where is the promise you gave us? What should we do when our hope is drained away? When we see evil everywhere, when we don't see characteristics of Christianity coming out in our children, in our young people, in our own nation that we have declared as a Christian nation, what should we do? Those are serious questions that should not go unanswered at individual level. And I want to suggest to you that those of us, number one, who are born again from God, we should begin to listen to God. Open your ears. When the world is oppressing you, when you feel all hope is gone, will you not listen for that voice of God only so that his voice can awaken your hope to a greater and higher level because your hope has gone down? We already know that the preacher began very well. He began with God. But in between, he was shaken. His faith was shaken. 
And friends, I want to suggest to you that our faith should not be shaken if we begin to listen to the voice of God. Because the voice of God is far much better in the midst of trouble, in the midst of pain, because we have comfort that comes from the hope we have in God. If you have heard of the word the remnants, it is the few that survive. It is the few that make it to the very end. It is the winners. So number one, begin to listen to the voice of God. Call on God. Hear what he says in his word. Friends, he has promised us that it's going to be tough in the last days, meaning that when it gets tougher, he is getting closer and closer to his coming. He has promised us. And I like the way the Apostle Paul puts it here. He says, like in childbearing pain. All along, this lady is okay as she's carrying the baby. But when the pain starts, then the arrival of the baby is near. So when we see oppression getting worse and worse, when we feel the pain against our hope getting bigger and bigger, then the Lord is near. Our hope should go up rather than going down. But secondly, we should not be driven by what we see. Unfortunately, the human mind has eyes because of the things that we see. And the mind interprets what we see. When everybody is not doing it, it is not a standard. When everybody is doing it, it becomes a standard. Even when it is wrong. But because everybody is doing it, it becomes a standard. And we feel, oh, the standard is here. Am I the only one? No. Everyone is having girlfriends. Everyone is having boyfriends. So it's okay. We should not be driven by the things that we see. He has told us in the text we have read, who has hope in what he already has? No one. I don't know what car you are driving. But you know what I'm talking about. Before you had that car, you were longing to have a car like that one. The moment you drove it for two, three weeks, you began to look at another car higher than the one that you have. You, you were saying, I think, uh, I won't mention the make here, Misty. I, 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 I step on people's foot. But you began to look at a better car, a bigger one. When God, by his grace, gave you that one, then you looked at the year it was meant. You said, this is a 20-shan model. 
But I think the 2020 model is better. You are no longer having hope in what you already have. You are having hope in that which you do not have. So, why are you driven by the things that we see? Our hope is drained because of the things that we are seeing. So, let your hope not be driven by what you see, but by what you do not see. What don't we see? It is the promised life of the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the joy of the oppressed living that life of being oppressed to become a king like the way it was in Joseph. Oh, it is that great idea where he comes out of prison to state house. That's hope. He never dreamt it. But he was looking forward. That's why he says, remember me. But thirdly, we should practice patience as we wait for hope. Hope does not just happen instantly. Then it is not hope. It becomes magic. Magic is where they do kadabra kadabra and then suddenly you have it. But hope requires investing. Hope requires you doing something about it. Hope looks to a particular period of time. I hope you didn't lose hope when I, when I didn't show up. You're wondering, ah, where is the preacher? <laughs> but I was trying to exercise your patience. <laughs> Let hope not have an idea of saying instance. No, no, no. Hope is to say, yes, I have planted the seed. I am waiting for the right time for it to mature. But fourthly, what should we do when all hope is gone? We should act in hope. Because hope gives you what to do. Hope does not tell you to sit down, but hope tells you to stand up and be ready to do the work. Because there's something that is going to happen. This time of farming, or the, the farmer who has hope is going to go with his hoe and begin to plant, and there'll be weeding that is going to take place before the harvest comes. So act in hope. Don't just say, I have hope, but I have nothing to do. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Leave a Christian family, a life rather. Study the word of God. Enjoy Christian fellowship because you have hope. I'm grateful to hear testimonies Sunday after Sunday of how God is saving people. We should be involved in that work more and more because that's our hope. 
but more people are getting saved. We should act in hope when all hope is gone. We know from the Bible, Job would have given up, but he worked against all hope. He acted in hope. He becomes such a good example of people who have hope. So then, the teacher has given us that gloomy picture of how terrible life can be without hope. And friends, that can affect you and me also. But what we should look at is what should we do when we have no hope? We have said we should listen to our Savior, to our God. We should learn from his word. We should be driven by the things that we cannot see, but things that we anticipate to happen. We should have the patience to see our faith grow. But how can we close um, such a text like, like this one? The hymn writer has put it this way. My hope is built on nothingness than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Friends, there is no hope without God. If you are not a child of God, you are not only hopeless, but you are equally helpless. No one can help you in your oppressed state. Sin will continue to oppress you. You have become a slave to it. You need a deliverer, a person who is going to bring hope to help you in time of need. Being in a hopeless situation is not a good feeling. Come out of it. Be a person of hope. Find help to give you hope in time of need. I will not be exaggerating if I say that many of us are in that hopeless scenario. We don't know what tomorrow holds for you. Will you not find somebody to help you in times of need? And I want to suggest the Lord Jesus Christ himself to help you in time of need. To give you hope. To give you confidence in what you are involved in. That the Lord will help you and he will help you to the fullest. Let us pray. Holy God in heaven, the Father of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you're the creator of the universe. Even when there was nothing you brought in life, you gave hope to the helpless world. You're the one who can give hope to helpless men and women who have no future. But because you sent your son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you have given us a future. Our prayer now, O oh Lord, is that you may give us this understanding that we may place our faith in you and live as people of hope in this world. Lord, help us. May you make this word clear to your people and help us to apply it to our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you all.